Good evening, this is Justin Ford in the studio for Africa Christian Action, Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. Tonight we are discussing serving the persecuted. Dr. Hammond, you've been a missionary serving the persecuted church for over 40 years. Can you please tell us what exactly is meant by the persecuted church? There is a lot of persecution. Now, we're not just talking about a person being discriminated against because of their beliefs and uh, not being promoted or not being hired or uh, not being allowed to study at university or uh, being discriminated against uh, in hiring practices. Those things happen all over the place, depending on who you're dealing with. Uh, but we're talking about violently persecuted, as in people being arrested, churches being closed uh, or bombed, um, and uh, uh, pastors even being killed. Uh, officially, there are over 400 million Christians in the world today who live under governments, 67 governments in the world, that ban Bibles and persecute Christians, severely restrict religious freedom, and and lock up or kill Christians. So every year, anything from 200,000 to up to 400,000 Christians are killed for their faith. So when we talk about persecuted church, we're talking about people such as in Somalia, where in one year, eight people who converted to Christianity were buried up to their waist in the ground and then stoned to death. And you know that, for example, because the people who did this actually filmed it and post on Facebook. Uh, stoning to death these people because they'd converted to Christ. Uh, also, individuals getting shot in the head in Afghanistan uh, at half time in uh, during the soccer game, or a woman being uh, buried up to the waist and stoned to death in Pakistan, and uh, uh, for example in Saudi Arabia, where a man invited his family and uh, friends to watch him drown his daughter in the swimming pool because his daughter had converted to Christ. And while there was lots of witnesses to this murder, uh, there was no investigation, inquest, or prosecution because according to the law of that country, there's no penalty for killing an infidel. So when you're talking about persecution today, we, we're talking about violent and, and vicious persecution. I have walked knee-deep in corpses in Rwanda uh, back in 19... Uh, 80s, uh, 1990s, when the Holocaust in Rwanda taking place, there in Natarama, there were 1,200 corpses in, in one church, and I walked knee deep and sometimes uh, up to waist high in corpses in this one church building at Natarama. And yes, there's been cases where Bibles have been piled up and burned uh, back in the, the days of communist persecution in Mozambique, now I'm talking about back in the 80s, and churches in Angola. Uh, uh, literally burned down uh, with Bibles and, and hymn books and um, pews in the pulpit being used as the firewood to burn a church down, pastors shot in front of the congregation. So, yes, violent persecution, it's a reality, and it's not just in history, it's happening in countries even today. Uh, what is the aim of persecution, Dr. Hammond? Well, I don't think the aim of persecution is to kill Christians, uh, at all. Uh, I think the aim of persecution is to intimidate Christians into silence, neutrality, compromise, because then persecution fails. And I can give an example of this that, that explains exactly what I'm talking about, because I was actually having a supper with eight people, all of whom used to be communists and who had fallen into disfavor with the communist groups, and they ended up in a concentration camp in Angola. And they were being tortured there, and they were actually in a, a pit that was at the lowest point in the camp, so that all the refuge and filth and sewage of the camp flowed into this pit, and it was covered over the top with barbed wire and thorn bushes, and, and sometimes they'd be pulled out and they'd be whipped and tortured in different ways. 
And these people said that at one point, one of our people just cried out to these communist guards, uh, Cubans, why don't you just kill us and get it over with? And the communist responded with such interesting words, and I think it really gives us insight into the motivation of persecution. Oh, no, we don't want to kill you and send you to heaven to be with God. No, we want you to curse Christ and to come to hell with us for all eternity. Now, that is insightful because you cannot destroy the church by burning buildings. The church is not buildings, but people who love and serve the Lord Jesus, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot kill Christians by sending them to meet the Lord in heaven. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So uh, understand the purpose of persecution is to intimidate and bully and silence you into compromise and into inactivity and to stop you evangelizing. So if we respond as our Lord Jesus did, then persecution fails. Our Lord Jesus said, do not fear man. I will tell you whom to fear. Fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. That is whom you should fear. And so I think as long as we refuse to be intimidated into silence and neutrality and compromise, then persecution fails. What lessons have you learned from working with the persecuted church, Dr. Hammond? There's a lot of great lessons you can learn from the persecuted church. The one thing is how they love God, how they fear God, how they try to even win their persecutors to Christ, how they've memorized the scripture. You just take someone like Sabina Wurmbrandt, who was locked up for five years as a slave in a communist concentration camp in Romania. Now, Sabina's crime was she was married to a pastor, a Lutheran pastor. And so she was forced to be a slave digging canals by hand and then like a mule pulling with ropes the the barges down the canal uh, with a whole lot of other women who were being whipped uh, like slaves to be able to to move these these great barges down the canals. Well, as Sabina Wimbrandt, she said, before I went to prison, I was very poor. But when I went to prison, I became very rich. Because while I was poor in the things of this world, I was rich in the things of God. She was rich in the scripture. She could memorize so much of the scripture. She had stored up in her heart and soul so much of the word of God that she was able to make many people rich with spiritual riches in the prison. And I think that's so important that you can memorize scripture. And I experienced this when I was locked up in a prison that I was not able to I didn't have my Bible, didn't have notes, I didn't have sermon notes, tracts, any literature, no pens or paper. But I had the opportunity to minister to 1,200 prisoners every day in the open courtyard and to the dozens who were in our prison cell at night, um, even though there was no electricity and no power failure, no Bibles. But just from what was stored up in my heart and soul and mind, I could minister and teach and evangelize. And what a wonderful time of ministry for weeks in, in this prison that I was able to reach people in a stinking disease factory with our shoes taken away, with everything taken away. And there we were um, in probably the best ministry opportunity we ever had with this captive audience, literally captive audience, and wonderful responses. I've met people since then who had been in the same prison with us, uh, who now the Lord is using in all kinds of uh, means. So, yes, uh, there's a lot we can learn from the persecutors. Fear God, love God. Don't be intimidated. We need to respond like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who when they were told you must bow before this idol or you'll be cast into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded to King Nebuchadnezzar. Our God, whom we serve, is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't save us, we still won't bow before your idols, nor will we serve your gods. What did you learn in particular from your experience in Kenneth Kawando's Zambia? 
Yes, so back in 1987, 35 years ago, while leading a frontline mission team across the border, we were arrested. We refused to pay a bribe. Well, this was my first prison experience, and we were stripped and beaten and thrown into cells covered in human filth, deprived of water and food, blindfolded, transport from the city of Livingston to Lusaka, the capital. And then we were thrown to an overcrowded prison. Now, this prison, uh, the British had built for 80 prisoners. Uh, when Kenneth Kunda was locked up there, uh, he had a cell to himself. Uh, he had his own um, bed and sheets and pillow, and uh, he had couch and desk and books and chair and gramophone and three cooked meals brought in, electricity and plumbing and so on. Well, when uh, we were locked up there, under Kenneth Gondo, he was the president at that stage, president for life, uh, there were 60-odd prisoners in each cell, 25 feet by 15 feet. So where the British had built a prison for, they thought, 80 people in total, with plumbing and electricity, um, Kenneth Kunda put in 1,200 people crammed into that same area without any electricity or plumbing. Well, the whole place was one big stinking disease factory, no beds, no furnishing. Uh, the whole prison was was uh, disgusting. And with our shoes taken away, walking barefoot with cut, bleeding feet amongst us filth, we could only imagine how many infectious diseases God was protecting us from. But in our prison cell, there was a whole lot of interesting people, including a businessman from Mali, uh, a Hindu um, uh, mine owner who had had their things confiscated and were thrown to prison. There's a major from the Zambian army who was an engineer who had trained in uh, uh, Sandhurst in England but uh, was in there because his sanctions would hurt Zambia more than, than it would hurt South Africa. And for that unpatriotic comment, he was thrown in prison. In fact, most of the people in the prison were remand prisoners. You could tell this because they weren't wearing prison uniforms. They still had just their tattered civilian clothes. So once you were convicted, you got a prison uniform. Before that, you were remand. Some people said they'd been there eight years, and I hadn't had the day in court yet. So interesting. Well, one particular prisoner in the presidential detainee cell that I was locked up in, Isaiah Moyer, he was a 26-year-old black South African from Soweto who had been imprisoned on drumped-up charges of being a South African spy. He was driving Pentechnicans, a big uh, transport trucks, and he had lent some money to some ANC refugees in the soccer who decided rather than repay him to accuse him of being a spy. So here was this Christian, Isaiah Moyer, who'd been severely tortured. He had multiple dozens of pussy sores on his body where red-hot pokers had been pushed into his skin. His knees were calloused from the hours he'd spent kneeling on the concrete floor praying to the Lord. When, by God's grace, international prayer and pressure forced the Zambian government to open the prison doors and set us free, I determined to campaign to release Isaiah Moyo. Now, it was our friends who had organized demonstrations outside the Zambian embassy in Lusaka and uh, in uh, the Zambian embassy in Washington, D.C., I should say, and in London, and uh, ultimately we were set free. Well, now I went and I spoke up at the International Society of Human Rights Conference in Frankfurt, Germany, in January 1988, and I used that as my launching pad for my first overseas ministry tour. Went around Britain, America, radio, TV, uh, testifying to government officials of atrocities I had witnessed and uh, documented in communist Mozambique and Angola. And on the BBC World Service, I particularly presented the case of Isaiah Moyo, thinking this might be a good uh, campaign to bring him out. Well, later I heard that the prison wardens had rushed with their shortwave radios to Isaiah Moyo in Lusaka Central saying, Isaiah, Isaiah. That white South African missionary who was locked up here with you, he's speaking on the radio, and he's speaking about you. 
And as I heard the tail end of my interviews, I gave the people a prison address and a, and requested people to write to Isaiah and encourage him and to send him care packages with salt and soap and sugar and vitamins and pens and pencils and paper and sweets and energy bars and all sorts of things like that. And Isaiah told us later that from that time on, he was never mistreated again. Forget about torture. He wasn't even spoken too badly. Male sacks of letters and parcels were dragged into the cell. He became the most popular man in the prison. He had so many trading items, which everyone wanted. So people could not do enough for Isaiah. And the BBC World Service radio program had raised Isaiah Moyer to celebrity status in the prison. The prison guards treated him with great respect, and soon he was set free, allowed to travel back to South Africa to be reunited with his wife and two children. So publicity provides protection for the persecuted. This was my first experience of seeing what an influence a Christian can have through prayer and pressure. Publicity provides protection for the persecuted. As our Lord Jesus taught in Luke 18, 1-5, even an unjust judge will do what is right in response to persistent prayer and pressure. We should always pray and not give up. Like that persistent widow, we need to persevere in putting pressure on the politician and prayer to the Lord. And, you know, politicians don't see the light until they felt the heat. So, as virtually every dictatorship in the world is a beneficiary of vast amounts of foreign aid, this provides leverage. So most dictators prefer foreign aid to foreign prisoners. So if given a choice, they will let the prisoner go free in order to continue to receive the dollars, euros, pounds. Whatever we bind will be bound. Whatever we loose will be loosed. By the power of prayer through persistent pressure, we can actually see the powers of darkness limited and prison doors opened and captives set free. What does the Bible teach us about persecution, more particularly how to endure it, Dr. Hammond? We are told in 2 Timothy 3.12, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, the Lord says that in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, John 16. So uh, we need to understand that uh, the suffering is temporary, um, uh, but the glory is eternal. And yes, the Lord suffered for us and left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. The Bible does tell us about persecution. We know how Joseph was betrayed by his wicked brothers and sold into slavery and to betrayed into prison and we know how a, a god uh, allowed even daniel to be taken away as an exile from from his home in jerusalem and made um, a servant of the king in babylon well daniel was offered food off to idols he refused uh, he was told he mustn't pray to anyone except the government but but he prayed to the lord and he was thrown in the lion's den and his three friends shadrach meshach and abednego were told to bow before the the uh, the actual idol or they'd be thrown in the fiery furnace. So again and again, we can see persecution in the Bible. Even at the beginning of the church, Stephen stoned to death by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Uh, Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin told not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they respond, our God whom we serve is able to save us. And uh, you decide whether it is right to obey you rather than God. We must obey God rather than man. And so they continue to, to speak in the name of Jesus. And there's a lot of persecution. The Apostle Paul was stoned and whipped. and So, yes, we are imprisoned unjustly. So we, we see a lot in the Bible about being persecuted, and we need to understand how important it is for us to stand firm. How can we prepare ourselves and others for persecution? We need to fear God and not man, and we need to memorize the Scripture. There's no doubt that there's lots that we can do to be more effective in serving the persecutor and, and preparing ourselves for persecution. The one thing is I've had Christians in 
Eastern Europe, such as Dr. Paul Negrut of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Aradia, he said to me, Peter, we don't count our members by how many attend the Sunday morning service. We count our members by how many attend the midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. Well, that's an insight. And I asked him how he could tell the difference between real Christians and false Christians. And Dr. Paul Negrut said, Peter, it's easy to tell the difference between a real Christian and a false Christian. A real Christian loves God. A real Christian loves to read the Bible. A real Christian loves to pray. And a real Christian hates sin. Wow. Well, there you get a bit of an insight on the persecuted church. And uh, I believe that's just so important. We've got to memorize the Bible. And, of course, churches that are hierarchical, which are set up uh, very much uh, top-down, they will easily be decapitated. All you've got to do is take out the top leadership of the church, and many churches fall apart. But if the church is each one reach one, each one teach one, each one bring one, and uh, uh, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. When you have the idea of lay leadership and decentralization with churches consisting of home fellowships, and well, those are much harder to close down. It's not like you just take out the bishop or archbishop or patriarch and the whole denomination is going to collapse. Uh, the stronger the the, the church base, um, meaning in home fellowships and prayer fellowships and Bible studies and lay leadership, the better they will do. And also, if somebody takes away your Bible, how much of the Word of God will you have left in your heart and mind? And so those are some good things a person can do to prepare one for persecution, uh, that we know how to memorize the Scriptures. And when I had my Bible and everything else taken away from me, including my shoes, I was in one of the greatest ministry opportunities in my life in the Sanka Central Prison with a captive audience of a thousand ton people. At that point, all I had was what I memorized. And if I didn't have it memorized, it was not there. So those are good experiences to have. And if we can prepare people, we should make Bible memorization more popular and more fun parts and get the youth groups thinking more about Bible memorization too. And I think it's also helpful to have forms of liturgy where we've got set prayers of the church, like in the, the um, prayer books, where we've got a certain amount of ritual and repetition. Repetition can bring rep revelation. Where uh, And I've seen this with the church in Sudan. Yes, they lost their bishops and they lost the canons and all the, the leaders of the church. But the people down below, they knew they knew the Ten Commands of God, they knew the Lord's Prayer, they knew the Apostles' Creed, they knew the Nicene Creed, they knew a whole lot of the key scriptures and, and uh, prayers connected with the prayer book. And they would gather together and as much as they could remember, they would repeat and entrench it in their minds. And so when I went there starting in 1995, and I did 27 missions behind the lines into the persecuted churches then, I found strong churches, Episcopal churches then, because of the fact that uh, they had a liturgy that was memorized by almost everyone all over. And even when they lost their bishops and their priests, uh, they still were able to operate because of this residue of the charisma of the gospel that, that was memorized by the communities. Dr. Hammond, you've mentioned the word pray as a tool to fight persecution, but how can we best pray for the persecuted church? Well, we can pray imprecatory prayers. We can pray prayers of justice. And many people may be surprised about this, but there are examples in Scripture, of course, praying for God to judge the wicked. And if you turn to the middle book of the Bible, the biggest book of the Bible, the prayer book of the Bible, uh, you'll find the Psalms. And of the 150 Psalms, 90 Psalms include imprecations, meaning prayers for justice or prayers for judgment, asking God to intervene and to judge the wicked. Now, this isn't praying against our enemies, you know, somebody who 
spoke badly of me and hurt my feelings. This is praying against God's enemies. This is uh, praying for God's glory. And it's it's um, something that you can see the reformers did. John Knox uh, prayed in precatory psalms against the wicked uh, government leaders that they had to. And you can see that, in fact, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the psalms are the war psalms of the Prince of Peace. And when you understand how much uh, the psalms are fulfilled in Christ, then you understand how we can actually be praying uh, for God to judge the wicked and for God to deal with those who are his enemies. And <clears throat> so the imprecatory psalms, it, it reminds us of spiritual warfare, and prayer is spiritual warfare. And one of our prayers is for conversion of our spiritual enemies. But another prayer is for judgment on those who refuse to be converted. And we handicap the army of God when we refuse to use both of these great weapons that God has given us. At all times, it's a part of the task of God's people to destroy evil. Jesus didn't come to make it easy for people to sin and get away with it. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So if we've been guilty of dulling our sword and neglecting or undermining the Psalms, we need to repent of that sin and sharpen our sword anew and go forth and do battle in the name of the Lord. Because we can see a fatal end awaits all those who refuse to acknowledge and obey our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so hearing expositions of the war Psalms of the Prince of Peace will remind people that we are at war. God's kingdom is at war. And for God's kingdom to come, Satan's kingdom needs to be in retreat. And for uh, God's will to be done, a lot of those who are fighting against God must be dealt with, either converted or, or removed. So we must rally our churches and our prayer warriors to put on the whole armor of God, including the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, which has to include the imprecatory psalms. What resources and records of your experiences are, are available for the listeners who want to learn more about the persecuted church, Dr. Hammond? It's so important to speak up for the persecuted. Um, I was told when I first started going to Mozambique, do the Christians in South Africa pray for us? And I had to say, well, I don't think they know you even exist yet. But we will change that. And <clears throat> so I produced one of the first books on the persecuted church was In the Killing Fields of Mozambique. And uh, Mozambique was my first mission field throughout the 80s. And so to share inspiring testimonies of Christian courage amidst communist cruelty and carnage. Uh, I put in vital historic facts, important lessons we can learn from the scorched earth campaign, the man-made famine, the abuses of relief aid, and my experience being captured by communist forces in Mozambique. Uh, it's all the prison experience. It's all in the Killing Fields of Mozambique book. Holocaust in Rwanda was very traumatic, and uh, this Holocaust in 1994 led to me producing a book in 1995 of Holocaust in Rwanda with pictures to speak up for those people who endured those terrible hundred days. Um, and it, it was a, a terrible time of persecution uh, 28 years ago. And the Tutsi Christians were targeted for extermination. Um, uh, how they not only survived but thrived and managed to win the country over and stop the persecution. How David beat Goliath. What a story. Um, Faith Under Fire in Sudan was one of our most successful books ever. Um, published uh, first in 1998 and uh, uh, 1996 and the second edition in 1998. And then in 2010, we brought a third edition, which was three times the size of the original one. Hundreds of pictures, hundreds of pages. So Faith Under Fire in Sudan has got the historic heroes of, of Sudan uh, and their history and uh, their courage and uh, just uh, understanding how the largest country in Africa uh, with the longest war of the 20th century, uh, came to be divided into a Christian black south and a Muslim Arab north, and uh, the tremendous answers to prayer. The fact that South Sudan is now a free, independent country, the youngest country in the world today. And uh, 
So that's whole stories in Faith of Defiance. And so those are just some of the books. And this year, to mark the 40th anniversary of Frontline Fellowship, I produced Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, which is hundreds of pages, hundreds of pictures, a first-hand eyewitness account of war and persecution during tumultuous times. It goes from the Bush War in Rhodesia to the border war in southwest Africa and Angola uh, to uh, the killing fields of Mozambique and capture, interrogation, imprisonment, smuggling behind it, the Iron Curtain, the seven-year Jericho prayer march, which led to the fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Iron Curtain, the revolution in Romania, missions to Albania, the most atheist country in Europe, and so many other experiences of artillery and rocket and and uh, fire and aerial bombardments, uh, through to the successful struggle for the secession of South Sudan. So Frontline Behind Enemy Lines covers 40 incredible years of our missions throughout 38 countries and eight wars and three revolutions uh, throughout Africa and Eastern Europe. And this book's also available from christianlibertybooks.co.za and available through print on demand and as an e-book. Uh, so those are some of the books my father-in-law, Bill Bathman, who spent 67 years as a missionary, mostly to persecute Christians in Eastern Europe. Uh, he published Going Through Even If the Doors Closed and in a follow-on, Going On, which follows on after the fall of Berlin Wall, his ministry throughout the world and Africa. And uh, so there's some great books. There's some great films also. Sudan, Hidden Holocaust, Terrorism, Persecution. We didn't produce these films, but we took in the filmmakers who produced them. And... Uh, We've also produced Missions to the New Mountains of Sudan, which is in English, German, and French. And uh, we've got a Behind Enemy Lines film. So there's some good films and books on what we've experienced to be able to speak up for the persecuted. Well, well persecution is a grim historic and uh, contemporary reality for many Christians. There's also an, an element of redemption, um, particularly uh, Sabina Wormbrandt had a story that uh, you might be able to do. Right. Yes, that, that's a lovely story. Sabina Wombrandt was the um, wife of Pastor Richard Wombrandt, and uh, she is a good family friend of, of my wife's family. Uh, Lenora grew up with people like Brother Andrew and Richard Wombrandt and George Verver and Francis Grimm around the dining room table. Well, at one point, Sabina Wombrandt, uh, she had come back after five years serving as a slave in the communist concentration camps in Romania. And along came a man who said, I've been imprisoned with your husband, and he's got a message for the church, which is, of course, the underground, persecuted, secret, illegal church. So Sabina Wurmbrandt, being wise, looked at him and said, before we go any further, will you lead us in prayer, please? And there was an awkward silence, and there was some stuttering and stammering, and she looked up straight into his eyes and said, there now, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Wouldn't you like me to explain to you how you can become a real Christian? And, I mean, that's the phenomenal thing. Let's remember that a lot of the persecuted come to Christ, ultimately. Uh, there's a book, Sergei, about a Russian KGB agent who was converted to Christ by the very people he tortured. And, of course, the New Testament, a lot of it was written by uh, Saul of Tarsus, who be the persecutor who became the missionary apostle Paul. And uh, we should not be too surprised at this. I've met and ministered with and prayed with people who... Uh, were persecuted of the church and um, have come from uh, all kinds of backgrounds and I've led them to the Lord. Uh, one was Nabazingi Musa. Um, he was once a Zapu terrorist uh, trained in Russia uh, and he was targeted in the old Rhodesia to assassinate an evangelist. But at this evangelist's tent evangelistic crusade, he was so hit by the gospel and so impressed by it that he forgot to give the order to to attack the past and throw the grenades. And so his team afterwards came up to him, you know, what's the problem? He said, you know, 
go away, I'll contact you. He went to the front and spoke to the uh, evangelist and was led to Christ and he became a pastor and evangelist. And I remember one time we were having a meal together, uh, Pastor Musa and I, and we were in a buffet, we had a hotel and where he was staying, I was meeting him there. And as I walked past it, I noticed he didn't have any meat in his plate. I said, did you miss the meat? He said, no, I don't eat meat anymore. It reminds me of when I used to eat people and thought, oh my. But uh, yes, so don't think that the persecutors can't be converted. Uh, we know many who've come to Christ from these backgrounds. Dr. Hammond, uh, would you like to list any websites or resources that uh, would be of interest to the listeners? Yes, certainly. So there's www.idop-africa.org. Now, IDOP is short for International Day of Prayer. It's a site for praying for the persecuted church in Africa. So www.idop-africa.org. And also our main mission website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. FrontlineMissionSA.org. We're also on Facebook. So you'll find videos, audios, PowerPoints, news items uh, that you can mobilize your friends, family, prayer group, school to remember the persecuted, to pray for the persecuted, do boxes with love and see what you can do to help uh, serve the persecuted church. Dr. Hammond, thank you for your time and for sharing your experiences. Um, as it says in Psalm 32, verse 22, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Please join us next week at the same time, 104 FM on Radio Tigerberg for the next program of Salt and Light.